This week, Toby and I bring you the latest in film and TV news of the week, including the 77th annual BAFTAs. We also bring you our thoughts on Sony's latest film within its cinematic universe, Madam Web. Stay listening for our discussion. Hello, and welcome back to the Clab Podcast. I'm here as always with Toby Yeomans. Yes, sir. And my name is Will Frost, and we're here to discuss all things film and TV. How are you, Toby? I'm good. I'm good. I've been uh, watching some things this week, trying to keep up with some of the news that's coming out. Um, so very excited to talk about some of that stuff today. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I think there's been a lot of news this week, a lot of a lot of stuff to do. Um, it's been busy. It's been busy, and I'm really, really excited to get into it all with you. Um, I think we should start off by by saying that we've had a lot of feedback and support from the first episode of the show. Yeah. Um, it's meant a lot to us. Uh, a lot of our friends and family have really uh given us a lot of feedback and we've we've appreciated it and we hope that this episode is is better than the last because we always want to improve and we go into a lot more detail on things and we also tone back on a lot of things because we realized the last episode was a long one very very long one yeah a long one but it was a massive week in film i mean the super bowl weekend is always huge yeah and this week has been i'd say equally as big but not in the same way there's yeah. not a lot of announcements and trailers but it's big awards time with the baftas yeah yeah to our credit there was a lot of news to talk about we did yap a little bit we um, did went on went on a bit of a couple of tangents that were perhaps unnecessary but you know not, not bad for the first attempt and um we'll try and condense it down give you give you guys our opinions the news is necessary um but keep it interesting and shorter if possible we also hope you guys really like the new design of the podcast We've had a fantastic designer by the name of George Margaritas create our new logo and uh, design for the podcast. And of course, the music um, has been completed by so- Sophie Frost. And we greatly appreciate their support of the show. And uh, we-, we can't wait to keep making it more and more professional and cr- get a wider audience for, yeah, for the show. No, they did fantastic for that. Uh, we like to start the podcast by going through some of the things that we saw this week. Some of the movies and TV shows we've watched. I think you and I watch a wide variety of film and TV. Yeah. And um, I just thought we could go into our thoughts to start off the podcast. So, Toby, what have you watched this week? Um, well, I'll start with a bit of a niche one. I, I finished watching the 1997 Berserk anime. Um, so, for anyone who has seen that, I'm very sorry to you because it is very intense. Um, but I also did watch Arrival um, this week. Oh, a for great the, film. For the first time. I had some thoughts, um, but I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, another day when we're... Um, Talking about what's the director's name? We, Denis Villeneuve. Yes, we should yes. we should plug that that we that in the lead up to June Part Two, which we're both very excited for. Um, we are going to do a June uh, a Denis Villeneuve um, conversation and yeah. go through some of his filmography. Which I mean, he is my favorite director. Yeah. He has produced some of my favorite films. He's a massive inspiration for me, and I'm really excited to know that you're going through some of his old filmography. Yes, and yeah. I can't wait to get into it one day. Yeah, try and catch up a little bit there. So um, that's what I've been watching this week. Um, where, what have you been? I've been going through the X-Men films. Yeah. Um, in the build-up to Deadpool um, 3, I realized that I hadn't revisited the X-Men films in a long time. So I um, I revisited, at the moment, First Class and Days of Future Past. Yep. I think Days of Future Past, it's, it's really good. Yeah. As in, it would be a solid 8 out of 10 at the moment. Okay. First Class went down a bit for me. Yeah. Actually, upon revisiting it, it's a great film, but it doesn't age as well as I think Days of Future Past does. Yeah, okay. I can see that. 
and I am really excited to go through the other ones. I'm going through chronologically. Yeah. Um. So I will be going back some of the um old original yeah, ones. Yeah. But I, I'm really excited to keep going with those and the build up to Deadpool three. Yeah. So I've been watching. I've been watching those, and I just completed Mr. and Mrs. Smith, as you know, the new Amazon Prime TV show, which we'll be going into more detail on uh, later in this podcast. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So shall we get on to the news for this week, Toby? Yeah, we can get started with that. Um, do you want to start talking about, um, guess what Nolan's been up to recently? I mean, obviously he's still very popular with Oppenheimer running circles in the Oscars currently. Absolutely. He's been on a massive marketing um, and o- Oscars campaign at yeah. the moment. I mean, he did the um, the promo with is it Stephen Colbert. He did the, uh, they, they recreated the final scene and did a little skit on okay, that. Yeah. Um, and he's also been doing a lot of work, obviously. I mean, he's he's winning all the awards everywhere he's going at the moment. So yeah. he's doing a lot of publicity, a lot of press. He did um, so, uh, some major interviews. And some of the stuff we're going to talk about is some of the things he said. Yeah, yeah. so he said some funny things. One of the things that For I sure. saw that I thought was was really funny was he um he confessed he was a fan of the, the Fast and Furious franchise. Who isn't, Toby? Who <laughs> isn't a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise? Um, Come on! No, I just I look. <laughs> I think it's 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 funny. Even the interviewer was kind of like taken aback by like yeah. Nolan, who's like this very cinematic and um. I don't I don't know what the right right word to describe him in comparison to like the Fast and Furious. He's franchise. a complex filmmaker. He yeah. he plays with time. He plays with characters and memories and dreams and these completely outlandish complex ideas. And what he actually likes is Vin Diesel driving a Mustang. For family, yeah, for family, <laughs> exactly. No, it's um. Oh, it's but who doesn't like? Look, that? I'll stand by a couple of the Fast and Furious films. I'll <laughs> even stand by saying the first one is like a genuinely good film. Um, yeah, <laughs> some of the later ones. Os- yeah, they're. I think they're fun up to eight. Eight, I enjoy enough. Nine and ten, I really struggle watching. I really struggle to watch those. They, they go. I mean, going to space quite literally was a joke that the internet was yeah. throwing around, and they thought, yeah, let's do hey, that. We, we had a good time watching none. We had a very good time watching. I mean, we had a few drinks yeah. for our listeners, <laughs> and then went in to see Fast and Furious 9, and it's safe to say we had a great time. Yeah, that was um, much better that way. But one of the other things that Nolan has said that I think particularly interesting to me is that he would be interested in making a horror movie. Do you want to horror movie? Tell me a little bit about that one. I, I do. He would, so he said it at the British Film Institute um, that it's a project he would love to tackle. Yep. And I've sort of said this for a long time and people, I don't, I feel like don't quite understand what I mean. Because people, when they think of a horror film, they think of Halloween, Scream, these traditional slashes and jump scares yeah. and usually something about exorcisms or zombies or something like that, yeah. right? But I genuinely think Oppenheimer is one of the most terrifying films I've seen in recent memory. That's a that's, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I think conceptually, it's terrifying. I think conceptually, that exactly. I mean, also because it very much happened. It's a biopic. Exactly. It's, it's terrifying to think that that's something that the world went through, and um, yeah, there was like a legitimate fear of ending the world. I guess that's war for you. Um, but I think even horror as just a thematic like genre, it's it's not underutilized i feel like it's underappreciated to a certain yeah. extent you know how much i love jordan peele's movies absolutely, absolutely. um like you know bordering horror thriller but um his films are brilliant yeah um convey some really important messages and stuff like that but i love horror as a genre i think it's yeah. got so much potential and i would really like to see what nolan's gonna go for in in that theme i think it'll be really interesting yes i i completely agree 
Maybe they'll scream seven or something. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> as much as I would love to see his take on that stuff. Yeah. Um, as much I would love to see Nolan do a Fast and Furious film. That's what I want to see next. That's fair. Vin Diesel going back in time or something. That's what I want to oh, see. Oh god, I couldn't deal with it. Um, but I, I'd be very curious to see him take on a horror film. And I, you, I know he has the the creative ability for. It. I mean, he's he's proved that from every one of his films, but especially Oppenheimer. Yeah. Where he creates this atmosphere that is absolutely terrifying as i said before i mean it's horror is a lot about atmosphere and tone as much as it is about you know making sure that there's a quick edit and you know you're scared because that whilst that stuff is absolutely important and works within a subgenre of horror there is certain work that jordan peele does and um other incredible horror filmmakers that it's about atmosphere it's about tone yeah and it's this feeling of fear that you have and not this every now and again your heart rate goes up because yeah. someone scares you. Yeah, that, that dread, I think, is the dread. one of the good way to describe it. Totally. Um, but yeah, talking about, uh, obviously, Oppenheimer and the Oscars run that is currently yes. going on, um, Jimmy Kimmel, who I believe is hosting the Oscars this year, he is. Uh, released a trailer for us. Um, it was Barbie-themed. Um, it, it had Kate McKinnon, uh, American Ferrera, sorry, yep. um, and Ryan Gosling appear in it. Um, what did you think of it? I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think every year, I mean, last year he did, um, well, I guess it was, it was, it was last year, but the film came out the year before, but it was Top, Top, Gun, Gun, Ma yeah. Top Gun Maverick. And that was really fun. And I love it when they bring in some of the stars and they sort of do a bit of a comedy element in relation to some of these films. And I, I personally really enjoyed it. I think, I think I preferred the Top Gun one because I think the idea of this mission that he has to yeah achieve which is to host the oscars is a bit more fun i'd love how they how they played with the element of barbie and him escaping barbie lands go host the oscars yeah I'll, I'll run you through some of my favorite moments one of them was how um they made fun of paul giamatti getting the in and out burger and how there's now a trend of celebrities not eating at these events and going out for a burger afterwards yeah there was there was ryan gosling of course he appeared for that of course um i also enjoyed how they spoke up well spoke about they screamed about the critical snub of Greta Gerwig yeah and how she was not nominated for a best director role and I thought it was quite quite out there of the, of the trailer to actually point out Call someone out who didn't get nominated yeah. and not people who did get nominated whilst of course they do reference people who did um it is it is I don't know if I've ever seen that where they spoke about someone who wasn't nominated in such a major way in the trailer. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how the Academy saw it, perhaps. I mean I not not to say that there wasn't people who were who were are being awarded, um, who didn't deserve it. But yeah, I think Greta and what she did with Barbie was was fantastic. And I definitely think it's a shame to not even see her um, not even see her nominated. Um but yeah, I thought I thought the the trailer in itself it was corny. Um, yeah, and I like I understand it's probably meant to be. Um, but that was even the same. I, I went and watched the one from last year, the Top Gun themed one as well. I, the same thing. I thought they were both very corny. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it does all that much beyond just introduce Jimmy Kimmel to be hosting it. Exactly. Um, so in that in that sense, it did its job. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does perform. Um. But yeah, I, I think the Oscars will be a pretty clear run for Oppenheimer, to be entirely honest. I, I agree. Um, it, it's just fun to have little moments like this in the build-up to the Oscars, because I feel like they're trying to um, appeal it to a wider audience than just hardcore cinephiles who've seen every single film. A bit like us. But 
I, I do think they're trying to appeal it to a mass audience. And this is a good way of doing it. A bit of a fun skit. It's going to go viral on YouTube and, and social media. People are going to give it a watch, have a laugh, and be like, maybe I'll check it out this year. Yeah. Uh, there's some more news coming out um, this week with Apple TV's new series, Masters of Air. This is one I've seen uh, multiple epi- episodes of. I think I'm one behind. But it has now become the most watched series launch for Apple TV+. Plus. So this is coming up against a lot of major TV shows that they had. Um, and following the premiere of the series, v- viewership rose by 65%. And I think this comes down to a lot of really positive press about it. It's getting good enough reviews. It's not being widely claimed, yeah. but it's getting a lot of good reviews. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think it's good for what it is. And it's got some great performances by major stars, such as Austin Butler. Yep. And it's good to see that it that it's getting a lot of viewership. Um, and it looks like Apple TV is only adding more and more quality content to its uh, to its service, yeah. including Killers of the Flower Moon being on Apple yes, TV+. Yes, yeah, of course. Now. Isn't, um, oh, was it Napoleon? Napoleon is also an Apple TV um, production. Yeah, I can't say I've actually watched too much Apple TV content in general. Um, yeah, okay. Of course, watched Ted Lasso. Um, oh, that's incredible. Everyone loves yeah. Ted Lasso. I think my parents have gone through it three or four times now. So it's, it's, an, it's an amazing ridiculous. TV show. Um, no, it's, it's good fun. But yeah, I think Apple TV is getting a good catalogue behind it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it's competing with the other streaming services. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this week, we've also had a new trailer for Alex Garland's film Civil War release. Um, as Toby knows, this is one I'm really anticipating. I think it was a really, really good um, trailer and has the potential to be a very interesting film. Yep. So it stars Kirsten Dunst in the lead role and it's expected on April 12th, 2024 and it will be an IMAX release. Yes, you're excited about the IMAX? I am excited about the IMAX. I feel like films that have this deeper level than just showy action, such as Oppenheimer and Tenet and some of these other films that we've gotten in IMAX. Yeah. I really like when they bring films like that to the big screen and you get to completely delve into a story that is complex but visually stunning as well. I, I feel like you're... I don't want to like criticise you too much. I feel like you're jumping to to say that it's going to be a very complex film. From the, the trailer, it doesn't show all that much story to it. I'm not saying that they want to reveal the entire plot of the film, um, but, but from what I saw, it was just showy action um, thus far. I know what you mean, but I think looking at... Looking at the cast and the crew and, and Alec Garland's wrote the film as well. Yeah. I'm just, I know it's A24 as well. We, we always got to remember that. And they don't go for showy action adventure films. They're normally more independent productions. They appeal to more of a niche audience. Yeah. They get um, critically acclaimed within a niche audience. And as we've seen with like last week's film that we spoke about, The Iron Claw, they've always got a lot of heart to them. They've always got something to say. And I feel like Civil War will live up to that yeah no that's 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 fair despite the trailer not going into a lot but i feel like that's part of no, it no, no. it's a film that's gonna have a lot to say and they don't want to give all that away yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna avoid the film just because it looks like an action film i think the action from what i saw looked pretty well choreographed at the very least so um but yeah i, I think it's hard to judge a film when you don't know the plot of it obviously um and that's not to say that you necessarily want to know it going in um but yeah no definitely something that i would recommend to go see uh, april 12th it releases just to reiterate that imax if you really want to experience the the big screen. Which, which you do. Of course. You do. Of course. Our you listeners do, do want to experience that in IMAX. They have yes. to. Yes. Yeah. Just on some other news that is very recent, yep. but it won't appeal to many people. But for those of you that do, will be, I think, very interested in this. This is some of the biggest news we've gotten in terms of physical media in a long time. 
And again, I know I've lost half of the listeners now, but for those who do still care or those who are at least interested in outside of streaming film distribution, Disney has reached a license deal with Sony Home Entertainment for DVD and Blu-ray. So Sony will handle all physical media releases by Disney. So any of the new films, any of its catalogs will be released by Sony and not Disney on Home Entertainment. So this shows that Disney is completely um, focused on its streaming service and theater releases. But Sony will market, sell, and distribute all new Disney releases in the US and Canada. So unfortunately, Australians will still likely have to import everything, but we do that now anyway. Um, but it's, it's very interesting because Sony have famously had really good physical media releases. They do a lot of incredible 4K um, releases as well, and I've purchased a lot of stuff that they've they've released. So I'm, I'm very interested in this. I, I want to see if Sony really put a lot of work into it. I feel like Disney releases at home are massive. Even some of the Marvel films that haven't been wild, wildly successful, they do sell at home because people want to maintain their collection. Yeah, people want to own the MCU. So I think if Sony does something really special with this, give us lots of special features, directors' commentaries, things that real cinephiles care about that you can't get on streaming... People will buy it. I feel disturbed whenever you call people cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it's not the nicest of names. Film fans. We'll call it film fans. Yeah. <laughs> I know that that's quite a, a niche news story, but it's something that I'm quite excited about and will be very curious to see how that how that goes yeah. for us. Yeah. And another niche one that um, some people might be interested in is Borderlands has just shown um, the, a first look at some of the cast in costume. Um, and anyone who knows Borderlands video game franchise... Um, pretty good game if you if you do want to play yeah, it. Yeah, big big franchise. Um, but from what we can see from the screenshots here, the characters look fantastic. I'm going to say they do. They um, do. And you got some big names in the cast as well. You got Kevin Hart, Bobby Lee, Kate Blanchett, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Jack Black. Do you think this is going to be a comedy then? Yes. I yeah. looked at Kevin Hart and Jack Black going, but it, it's is it have an you, MA? Have you played Borderlands before? Part so one of them. I yeah. think it was Borderlands three. Yeah, Borderlands three. Yeah, yeah. three. Yeah. Game. So it does have like comedy elements. It it's does, but it's quite graphic. Graphic. Gory. Um, I thought, I'm not sure if they will make it like maybe an M film. I'm hoping that it'll be yeah. like a, a bit more mature because I feel like it. Ha that's the audience of the game. Yeah, the audience of the games definitely because it has lots of blood splatter, um, mm. like intense themes and stuff like that. Pretty gory game. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm excited for it. I think it could be a I bit of too. fun. Um, and some big names behind it as well, which seems like random, but obviously it's not going to be a small little um, video game film. It's, it's going to no, be a, totally a, a big blockbuster, I imagine. And it's coming out with a lot of other uh, video game adaptations too, with Fallout also having some set some set pictures that came out a few weeks weeks and months ago. But it's it looks like we're going to get more adaptations of film franchises, obviously. Game game franchises. Um, there is another one as well, which I, I don't have it written down anywhere, but there is news. Anyone that knows about, um, I think it's called Iron Lung, uh, Markiplier. I've never heard of this. Markiplier, very famous YouTuber, is making a film called Iron Lung. It's based off an a indie video game. It's meant to be like a very claustrophobic uh, Fear of the Ocean type film. Oh, wow. Um, I'm not sure how it will be. I think Markiplier is set to direct in it, which will be wow. interesting. Um, all the less, but I'm, I'm excited to hear about it because the game is is good. It's creepy. Um, it's an indie game, so it's not too like detailed, but the atmosphere that it builds is really good. Um, so that's another one you can look out for video game-wise. Um, I'm sure I'll get back to you if there's any more news that I hear about, but that was just something that I thought about uh, when we're talking about video game films coming out. Um. To make a crazy segue to another completely unrelated topic, but 
we actually missed it last week and I thought it was worth mentioning on the pod was that Godzilla vs. Kong had a second trailer oh, exciting. actually released. So we've all seen the one that's come out in theaters and IMAX and all that. But they did reveal another one that had a bit more details on the plot. Okay. So from what I can gather from the trailer, and again, they don't go into a lot of details, but they, they do mention a few things. And it looks like a child has the ability to sense this message that being sent by the villain of the film and the creatures Kong and Godzilla can also sense okay. this message. And they kind of reveal in it that it's it's a call to war, essentially. We don't know why, but it seems that there is some kind of build up to this massive power that is going to come to be and that Godzilla, Kong, and this girl can sense it. And that's how the humans sort of get involved because okay. they come to learn of it from this girl. Yeah. Um. And it's also revealed that the humans built the, the, they, they built Kong the Infinity Gauntlet. Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, Infinity Gauntlet. We don't know what to call it, but the, the Infinity, Infinity Gauntlet to help them fight this creature that Bumblebee's is yet to be revealed. But yeah, so it'll be interesting. I think the second trailer wasn't as good as the first in that I think the first showcased the, the visuals and built up some excitement on seeing these two characters return with Kong and Godzilla. Yep. But, I mean, we always knew the plot was going to be outlandish. Big monsters fight. Big monsters fight. And that's all I want. I, I'm happy to see big monsters fight. I wasn't a big fan of Godzilla vs. Kong. And I didn't love Godzilla 2, but I really enjoyed the 2014 Godzilla. And I do enjoy Kong Skull Island. Yep. So they have the ability to make a really good film. Yes. And that that is... Dumb popcorn entertainment. Do you think it's one of those things where it's easier to keep the, the you know, m m the monsters, the the stated monsters in like their own separate categories, where it's like with the second that you drew drew in like Kong versus Godzilla, it makes it very difficult to write a yes like <laughs> good script, I suppose. Yes, because if I'm gonna say one of my favorite ones, as the two I've just mentioned, but also Godzilla minus one. Yes. Yes. Again, just Godzilla. Just Godzilla. But the thing about Godzilla Minus One is I think that is actually going to harm the release of Godzilla vs. Kong because we've seen Godzilla done in an insanely well done yes, yeah. manner. And the thing is, I don't mean from a box office point of view, but I mean critically, people have seen Godzilla action and Godzilla spectacle that has real human heart, yep. a believable story. I think that people are going to be more critical of the plot and the story of Godzilla you, vs. Kong. You reckon, I reckon it's going to be like maybe people who actually went and saw Godzilla minus one. I don't think a huge amount of like the MonsterVerse uh, watchers were necessarily going to see minus one. Or not in the same sense of like when they're going to see a monster film, they want to watch big lizard fight, big monkey versus when yeah. you go see minus one, it's it's a story about like grappling with the end of World War Two as a Japanese kamikaze pilot. But you don't think people want to revisit that over something that they now understand like we've seen on a very small budget godzilla action that looks in, in, incredibly good i mean he's been nominated yeah. for best vfx at the oscars but and godzilla vs kong don't get me wrong it'll probably look 10 times better in terms of cgi and scale but everything i wanted from a godzilla action and visual point of view mm. was upheld in godzilla minus one and it had a human story that i believed in and enjoyed and that's not to say i'm not going to enjoy godzilla vs kong especially me i'm going to go watch it as i'm sure everyone will it's gonna i don't think it's going to be a box office flop but what i'm saying is i think people may be a little bit more critical and now they're not just going oh well the story won't matter 
Because it's they never get it right in a creature film anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like when people have seen something that has done everything they want in a in a Godzilla film, done well, and a human story that people believe yeah. in, they might be a little bit more harsh on the MonsterVerse for not going in a direction like that. Yeah. I mean, we we can always hope that um, audiences hold uh, studios to high standards when they have you know huge budgets, massive CGI. They can still make a fantastic story through that. Um, yeah, I'm always advocating for that. I don't know necessarily if audiences hold the same standards, um, even after a fantastic film like Minus One came out. Um, but yeah, we can always hope. It's my, my final word on that one there. And and after we see Godzilla vs. Kong, I'm sure we'll give you a ranking of the MonsterVerse franchise and yeah. all our thoughts on all of the films and how it compares to those. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see with that, whether it, it lives up to, for me, the 2014 Godzilla, which I know is a controversial choice, but I think that's incredibly well made. Yep. But that... But all of the the films in the Monster First franchise. Um, so we're going to go on to our major news of the week, which was that the Baftas was held in London. Um, it was held on the eighteenth of February, and it was pretty much what we expected. Yeah, uh, uh, as I have said and expected from the Oscars, mostly a wash for Oppenheimer. Poor Things did fantastic as well. It did very well. It that. did very well. Um. Uh, in animated films, we can talk about The Boy and the Heron, um, won the BAFTA for that. Absolutely deserved. Uh, Miyazaki, his final film, brilliant. Um, I, I loved it. I know you still haven't seen it. I haven't seen The Boy and the Heron. No, but um, I think it is a film that, even if you're not a huge fan of Japanese animation, um, it's a very emotional and heartfelt film that is definitely worthwhile to watch. Absolutely. Let me run you through some of the winners of the BAFTAs and chime in if you have any thoughts on these. But of course, starting off with best film, it went to Oppenheimer. Yes. I think that that's also a done deal for the Oscars. There's a potential for, there's some other ones that could come in. I think Poor Things and the Holdovers have the potential. Yes, yeah. Um, but I do think that Oppenheimer is the, the winner here. Um, we've also got outstanding British film was The Zone of Interest, which is getting critically acclaimed across the world. People are really enjoying that film. I've heard it's a tough watch, but really powerful. Yeah. We've got Outstanding Debut by British Writer, Director, or Producer. We've got Earth Mama. And then Film Not in the English Language, we have The Zone of Interest. So those are some of the ones that won. To continue, we have 20 Days in Maripol, winning Best Documentary. Of course, as Toby just mentioned, The Boy and the Heron winning Best Animated Feature. Do you think that was a worthy win? Because we do have another massive um, animated film that came out last year, which was obviously Across the Spider-Verse. Um, Do you think that's that's a worthy win? Absolutely. I think Miyazaki has been snubbed um, in, in his awards. I think he's made some like brilliant films that have been beaten by some mediocre uh, animations. Spirited Away win? No, Spirited Away didn't win. Did I, I not don't win? believe okay, so. That's, that's a snub. Um, and anyone who's seen Spirited Away knows it's a fantastic film. One of my favorites. Um, I mean, it's it's... I have not watched a lot of anime, but that made me go, if this is what anime can be. Yes, yeah. Oh, look, it, I think, I don't want to set your standards that high. There's obviously some worse ones out there, but um, it is, yes. you know, obviously Miyazaki's brilliant in what he does. Um, Compared to Into the Spider-Verse, it's some, some of the same criticism that you said uh, last week, is that it seems like kind of an incomplete film. Um, I think when part two comes out and it's brilliant, which I'm, I'm assuming it will be, um, it might do better off. Uh, but since it's Miyazaki's final film, very complete story, Um, I think it just, it just performs better as a standalone film. Yeah. I think it's easily this tie between The Boy and the Heron and Across the Spider-Verse that it, it's one or, 
And at the moment, the boy in the heron is just dominated across the awards. Um, I think it also comes down to the award ceremonies have not been kind to superhero films in the past. And I do think that makes a massive yeah, difference. Well, well, the original Spider-Verse won, didn't it? Didn't it win Oscar for Best Animation? I think it got a globe. It globe? may have won a globe. Okay. I can't remember, yeah, but I, it may have won a globe. I feel like it may have. I can always check. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, no, I agree with you that superhero films in general have been overlooked. Yeah. Not to say that all superhero films are deserving of Oscars. I don't want to get no, too No, but I think the... The, the fact that The Dark Knight wasn't nominated for Best Picture is... Is, is ridiculous, yeah. Ridiculous. But Heath Ledger um, obviously got the Oscar for um, his performance. It's just not often you see a, a Best Actor... No. Um, ...not have their film nominated for Best Picture. It's just, it's just not... Very common for that. That's true. Yep. Uh, we also, continuing on, we have Oppenheimer winning Best Director. Yep. Um, and then we have Best Original Screenplay winning for Anatomy. Anatomy before winning for them. Yep. Uh, to continue, um, I'll just sort of run through these. Feel free to chime in. But Adapted Screenplay, we have American Fiction, Leading Actress Emma Stone. Then I think Emma Stone's performance was fantastic. Absolutely. I think Lily Gladstone still has a chance for the Oscars. She's, her Oscars campaign has been sort of viewed quite widely across all the award ceremonies. Yep. Leading actor, Killian Murphy, of course. I do think Paul Giamatti is also got potential yeah. for the Oscars, but I do think at the moment, Killian Murphy is the front one runner. Best supporting actress, I mean, Divide Join Rand- Randolph. I mean, that was, that was going to happen. Her performance in... Um, uh, the Holdovers is remarkable. Yep. And speaking of the performances in The Holdovers, best casting went to The Holdovers. Cinematography, Oppenheimer, of course. Editing, Oppenheimer. Production design, poor things. Yeah, very well deserved. Absolutely. I think the next few are very well deserving for poor things, but costume design, poor things. Makeup and hair, poor things. Special visual effects, poor things. They had some great practical sets. Um... Sound, the zone of interest. I've heard that is one for for the ages in terms of sound design is the zone of interest. British short film, we have Crab Day. Sorry, an, short animation, Crab Day. And British short film, we have Jellyfish and Lobster. And then we have the Rising Star Award being awarded to Mia McKenna-Bruce, who, for those of you who don't know, she recently starred in How to Have Sex, which released last year. It was a major film um, in the indie realm in England, and I've heard it's it's a phenomenal film that I'm really curious to check out. I don't think we've had a release here yet. No. But she also starred in Persuasion in 2022 as well. So that was the BAFTAs. I don't think there were any big surprises for that. I don't think there were any awards that I don't I think were undeserving. No, well, the only one that I would maybe uh, talk about is special visual effects. Oppenheimer versus Poor Things. What are you thinking? I think, obviously, Nolan's very well known for his use of practical effects. Yes, but I think Oppenheimer hasn't been spoken about much in terms of its its visual effects. I I do, I disagree with that. Yeah. But I also know that it's quite a a condensed category this year in that there's a lot of, there's a lot in there. There's only so many nominations that you can give and only so many awards you can give out. But I think, if I'm going to say what's the best part of Oppenheimer, whilst I think that's up there, I think it's more deserving of other categories, and I would absolutely not turn turn an yeah, eye to the fact that poor yeah, things. Yeah, not disappointed won. the poor things won it at all. No, and I think that we we know that film was brilliant, and it's deserving all these awards that it's getting. 
especially with Oppenheimer, could easily do a clean sweep through most of these categories. I'm really glad that um, films such as The Holdovers and Poor Things are getting a lot of recognition for some of the amazing performances and work in those films. Yeah, of course. Welcome to the next segment of the show. We're going to be discussing Madam Web. We just got home from seeing it, and I think we have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, Toby? Yeah, certainly have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, <laughs> why, why don't we start talking about like the objective things? We'll talk about the box office marketing. I know you've done a bit of research on that, and then we'll get to our opinions a little bit more. Yeah, so in, in, in regards to the box office... Its domestic earnings are twenty six million USD. Yeah. So for context, that's not a lot. That is really not a lot for a major superhero film. No. Um. Look, you'd hope that you'd reach fifty minimum. Twenty six is is really bad. Yeah. Um. It is. Um. Reached nearly fifty two million worldwide. Worldwide, I mean, you want 50, around 50 domestic. Yeah. Right? So it, it's done poorly, unfortunately. It's done poorly. In its opening weekend, it was well below that of Morbius, which is obviously the film that came before this in terms of the, the Sony-verse, the, the, the universe they're trying to create. That earned $39 million in its opening weekend. Madam Web earned $17.6 million. Yeah. So not just a little bit less. It earned a lot less. I think something you got to mention as well is the budget was eighty million. Yes. So, so given th- they're making what a quarter of that in their domestic, yeah, that is abysmal. Essentially, it, it's it's. It, I mean, it's the I hate to say this, but it's the definition of it's failed. It really has. I mean, you're you're aiming to reach your box. Sorry, you're aiming to achieve your budget within the first at least the first week. Because you're hoping that's when everyone's going. I mean, I'm sure the opening day has triple the amount of people that are going to be there a few days after, which is when we're seeing it. Yeah. And we had four people in the whole thing. And one walked out. And one person walked out. So, look, we're, we're not here to talk about cinema negatively unless it's true or... or that's how it is. Not trying to like ridicule the the no, creators of it or anything like that. It's just it's disappointing to see the film bomb in yes. such a manner. It's disappointing to see the studio fail. Like I don't want people to feel like, oh, not not people, but the studio. Um, a lot of creators to feel like they're risking, you know, a sixty million dollar loss. Um, yeah, creating a film like this. Um, but yeah, they they've they've essentially bombed. Um, they have. have not done well. But one of the interesting things that I find with that is that obviously not many people are going to see it. A lot of people have opinions online about this film. I agree. I think people are judging it based on clips and trailers that, you know, that depict a certain version of the film, but not what you, you what you see on screen. No. And, you know, people going around giving negative reviews, even though they haven't seen it, is part of the negative press that this is getting. Obviously, people who've seen the film are completely entitled to give their opinion, and critics are giving their opinions, and it, it's, you know, people are being honest about how they feel about it. But I've been in conversations with people who've given their, their views, and, and they don't really know who Madam Web is. And I think that's part of this, the, the negative publicity, because the marketing campaign has been 
shocking in, in, in regards to what the film's about. So I'm going to make a segue into the marketing of the film, which is, I think, a major contributor to the to the awful box office that it's had. Um, so the film have ob- has obviously been widely criticised. Um, Dakota Johnson has confirmed that the f- film went through major script changes and heavy editing last minute. Um, the first trailer of the film kind of went viral online for the the line... He was in the Amazon with my mum when she was researching spiders' rights before she died. It needs it needs some commas. That's an actual line from the trailer, people. That was not in the final film. We can confirm that is not actually in the film. But let me just refer- let me just repeat it, and let's try and break down what what it means. He was in the Amazon with my mum when she was researching spiders right before she died. So we get what she's trying to say there. There is clearly a character. Who was in the knew Amazon? Her mom, who was in the Amazon, researching spiders. The mum was before researching. Her mum died. The the mum was researching. The mum was researching spiders, and then the mum died. You can see why people who watch this trailer are left with a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah, that there is not a lot that that gives, and it's essentially exposition dump because there's not a lot to the story. There was a story. Look, on on top of that, by itself, which that went viral, I'm sure many of you have heard that, but Dakota Johnson was also not able to name any of the Tom Holland Spider-Man films. Now, whether that was a, a jokey meme publicity stunt, we don't know. She, she may know, because everyone judges people in these interviews and on, on these marketing campaigns, but what we don't realize is everything is calculated. All those questions are agreed to before the actors step on. Yeah. So... For all we know, that was a that was a stunt by Sony to get more views, which mm. was, you know, oh let's let's get Johnson to say, you know, the goblet of Spider Man because that's funny, and it is funny, but it also paints the picture that the cast and crew have no idea about anything in the wider context of the film. On top of that, Dakota Johnson also posted a photo of an article revealing her casting as Madame Web, as you would if you're in a major film like that, but she tags Marvel Studios in the picture. Now, Marvel Studios aren't actually involved in this production. Um, it's in association with Marvel Comics because that's where the character comes from. But Marvel Studios are not part of this. This isn't an MCU film. Kevin Feige's not a, not on this film. Um, and unfortunately, Sydney Sweeney did the same thing. But both those posts have been, now been taken down. Yeah. Um, and all the all the um, social media posts since have just been tags with Mar- uh, Sony Pictures, who are the studio who made this yeah. film. Um. Look, the marketing campaign was a major, was majorly criticised, and I think a lot of people were not keen to go see this film given all the all the stuff that came out about it. But but let's get into the film. Let's talk about our thoughts on it. Um, so it came out this year. It um stars Dakota Johnson, Sydney Sweeney, Isabella Merced, Emma Roberts, and Adam Scott. It is directed by S. J. Clarkson, and um. At the moment, it, it's not got the highest in terms of critical um, acclaim. It is on 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.8 on IMDb, and 27 on Metacritic. I want to talk about the director before we start talking about yes, the film. Yes, to give sure. context, because a lot of people won't know who S.J. Clarkson no. is. So her previous films include the 2010 film Toast. But she's been a major TV director. That is where she's come from. She has directed episodes of The Defenders and Jessica Jones on Netflix. Yep. 
She has also done an episode of Succession. I mean, she did the episode Prague, which is... I mean, that show is critically acclaimed yeah, big, across big the show. world. Massive show. She directed the TV miniseries, Anatomy of a Scandal. And unfortunately, she did actually direct a pilot for a Game of Thrones prequel show, but that was shelved by HBO. Yeah. Um, Toby, why don't you kick us off with your thoughts on the film? Um, yeah, it was a film. It had actors in it, and they acted and stuff. Um, it was... We actually don't know how, how to explain it without being, like, immediately dismissive. There, there's redeeming qualities to it, but all around, I don't think the criticism of the film is unwarranted. It is... It's messy. It, it, my best way to, and most polite way to say it, essentially, um, I think the, the writing, and I, I don't... Like, I don't want to blame any of the actors or anything like that, but given that the script was um, reworked... It, it's very apparent that it needed some more reworking, if anything. I agree. And I, and I should say that this is our non-spoiler thoughts. We're going to be very generic in this part, and we will get onto spoilers in, in another segment. Yeah. But at the moment, we're talking non-spoilers, and Toby's right. It is messy. It's convoluted. It's trying to be more than what it actually is. Right? It's trying to be this... This character can see the future, and with that brings a lot of complexity in a lot of films. But in this, it doesn't. It's no. just, I can see the future. I can see what this person's going to do, so I'm going to run away from it, or I'm going to stop it from happening. That is the essentially the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not, not one that I would necessarily like tell people to rush out and watch um, in that sense. I think it's definitely one that you can watch at your house on streaming if you're unconcerned with anything remotely like comic book related um it's also like not a film that i feel like is hugely connected to any of the cinematic universes that have been set up all that much no, at least not. as far as i could tell yeah um and that's not to say that that's a bad thing like we don't need to go watch a superhero film just to understand the plot of a 10 film series but um yeah it's not it's just not enough there to like to warrant i feel like going out of your way to film it. If it's something you're excited about, if you know the characters, like, it's not going to kill you to go watch this film. And, like, no. I think people walking out of it is a little bit ridiculous. Like, I don't think it was so abysmal that we couldn't sit through it. That, that I actually agree with. I think people are coming out saying this is the worst film of the decade. It's the worst film of all time. Look, people are passionate about their superhero films. And, obviously, if something doesn't live up to the mark, fans going to give their thoughts. That is... That has been the case with any superhero film, where people, you have your criti critics of Civil War and critics of the original Iron Man and Infinity War and Endgame. These films are not perfect films, and people are going to make that clear, even though to a lot of us, the general superhero fan, they're fantastic films. Hmm. With Madam Web, this is just a perfectly generic, mediocre superhero film that has a lot of terrible elements that t that take it down right it's on paper it's a generic superhero origin story okay but then there are elements which we'll get into that take it from being what you would probably give a five or six out of ten to taking it down to a two or three yeah i think one of them for me is the film a lot of the filmmaking elements and i hate to say that because any film that gets made is a miracle yeah every day hundreds of films are told the answer no they can't be made 
So the fact that S.J. Clarkson and the cast and crew got this film made is a miracle in and of itself, right? Yeah. So there needs to be something that it can offer, and it could offer a, a lot in terms of giving us this new superhero who can see into the future, these, this new band of heroes that have the potential to be something really interesting and great, mm. but it, it falls flat. Yeah, and there was potential with the casting. Um, there was. Obviously, Sydney Sweeney's everywhere right now. Yes. Um, so she she's doing like runs in in in, in your cinemas. She was in um what was the anyone one? but you anyone but you. So that, we recently. should say that for anyone who doesn't know who's what Sydney Sweeney's done before, and she is a side character in this. We'll talk about Dakota yeah. in a minute. Yes, yeah. But um, Sydney Sweeney is in Euphoria. Um, she's just recently been in Anyone But You, which has been really successful. Yep. Um, I think it just passed 150 million. I mean that that shows you that's a that's a rom com. That's and more than 150 million, and, and Madam Web, a major superhero film, is currently sitting at 52. So it just puts that into perspective. Um, so the film leads with Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, and she's she's a good actress as well. She's been in some some films that like are well praised. I yeah. mean, she was in the Fifty Shades. Uh, is it a trilogy? I believe trilogy. Yeah, can't say I've watched them. No. Um, but she was in a film that I actually really enjoyed, the Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, yes, 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 yes. Which is a really good film. She was fantastic in that. Um, Cha Cha Real Smooth she was in that which is an Apple TV film a, quite an indie film niche but I really enjoyed it I thought that it had a lot to offer and Dakota Johnson was a major role in that yeah um, so I think there was obviously potential with the casting but the the dialogue they were given was choppy it, yeah it you know it's it, a lot of it just like was exposition they they had chances for like dialogue and they're like we need to explain the story here like and that was it that was the entire point of it that's what it felt like um, so I feel like, and this is going to sound like more disrespectful than I mean it to be. If you cut away all the, the like dialogue scenes and, and like all the character interactions, you're left with like the foundation of something that could have worked essentially. As terrible as to say he is right, where the actors are not bad. These are not bad actresses. These are major, um, major actresses. You got Emma Roberts, Isabella Merced was in, uh, a major film that I'm, I'm losing. She was in Transformers. I know she was in Transformers yeah. 5, but I know she's been in other films since. And she was, all the all the characters in it were actually pretty good. All the, the individuals had potential. That's what is so frustrating about this film. I think I described it as frustrating more than anything. Yeah. Is you could see where it had a lot to give and it didn't live up to that. It, did, it just didn't give you a lot. It didn't give you much. No. It, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I feel like realistically, as I said, the foundation's there the the plot very basic like we're trying to keep this spoiler free so i'm sure we'll rip into it when we get into our spoiler section yeah um, i'll go into a deep dive but yeah there's yeah there's not much substance to it essentially no. um once again i don't think it's so terrible that you walk out i don't think it's so terrible that like you claim it's the worst film of of the like past couple of years there's, there's no. been some absolute flops in comparison um see some of the cgi worked um some some it's keywords there <laughs> some, some of, of it did not. Some of I'm it sorry. It some did of the CGI worked. Um, yeah. Some of the cinematography was okay. I was actually going to say that. There were moments of excellence in terms of cinematography, and I mean that, where I think a lot of people are going to come out and say, no, it wasn't. Mm. And we're going to get into some of the scenes that had really poor Bad. filmmaking. But <laughs> I can I can name you an example. Um, at one point, Dakota Johnson's character walks away from an ambulance that drives down a street. And essentially, the amb- this isn't a spoiler, but the ambulance crashes and you see the whole thing 
in the background out of focus. And it's a really well-made scene. It yeah. will require a lot of timing, a lot of effort. And SJ Clarkson should be really proud of that shot. It is a really well-worked shot. And it requires the acting to be perfectly on time. It requires the whole stunt crew to get it perfectly right. And from what I've heard in interviews, she had one shot at it. Yeah. One shot. And it actually delivered a really heartbreaking scene because there is there is a grand wider context that we won't get into but essentially there's, there, there is an emotional element to that part and I think in retrospect it worked that shot that scene worked yeah but but then it goes haywire yeah after and and that's the problem with the film where there's these glimpses of incredible filmmaking but then it is bogged down by a lot of not great filmmaking. And I and I want to get into that where in the opening scene there is these this zoom. It, 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 for some reason they decide that any time to keep the pace of the film and to keep the, the momentum within a scene, they keep zooming in. So you know, I'm sure people have seen it in shows like Succession, right? Where it you know, the the camera's on a character and then they say something and it zooms in. Yeah. Right? It zooms in. They do that within an action sequence, which means you're seeing it, and then it zooms in so you can't see it. Yeah, it's it's not even... I felt like that was obviously part of it, but even it was just, like, two characters yelling at each other, essentially, and it would, it would zoom in, but, like, kind of like the, you know, your early 2000s video cameras, where, like, it exactly zooms, but then, right. like, clicks back out, like, another half inch, and then yes. zooms back out, and then it swaps the next character, does the same thing. It's, yeah. It's just moving, like, in and out, and it... And, and it creates focus issues as well, because you've got a focus puller who's trying to manage... What feels like a complete, completely unpredictable, yeah, uh, shot composition and everything. It just feels like they had this scene which has a lot of tension, but it's lost because you're so distracted by what are they trying to do with this? What am I supposed to feel like I'm getting close to the characters in this moment, or am I supposed to feel scared? I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. Yeah, and it was also like very handheld camera. Um, it was. So I would say majority of the film, realistically, I, I felt like, um. Often it was just like even panning and stuff like that. You could tell it was handheld compared to... Yeah. Um, and handheld works in the right context. Yeah. Handheld works um, when you're trying to feel raw and when you're trying to be there with the character. Like you're someone standing next to them and you're trying to experience that moment. And there are moments where that works well, you know, especially when she when she's working as an ambulance operator. Yeah. But I think a lot of it also comes down to editing. Mm -hmm. The editing in this film was just not great. And I'm not blaming the editor. I'm not going to name it. That's not the point. The point is they clearly had a lot of things planned and then some of the shots didn't work. And so they were cutting between shots that passed as opposed to shots that actually had a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree with that. And it felt like, right, we need to justify how this person gets from here to here or this person does this. Yeah. And... You'd had 20 cuts to get there. Yeah. For someone walking through a room, right? The one bit I thought they did really well was they have a tracking shot of Dakota Johnson as she walks through a train station. And you see individuals in the background and then it will, it will stop following her and start following them. And it, it's actually quite impressive filmmaking. It's not revolutionary. We've seen it before. But it felt... It felt more familiar. It's also good. It was good in the context because it, it reminded you of other characters we were following. Because the, yes. the film thus far was like, you kind of got glimpses of these people, but like, it was very much focused on Dakota Johnson. Then it was kind of like, oh, here's 
Yeah, it was trying to push you in the direction to understand something, and that's good use of cinematography. It is. Um, it is. But yeah, I think there's not a whole lot more that I want to say without going into spoilers. I'm not sure about. I've got one more thing to one say. One more thing, go for it. There is a heavy use of ADR in this film, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's when um, they have to re-record lines that were not that either the audio didn't quite work on set or they want to go through script rewrites. They want to change things. And as we've said before, it's already been confirmed that this film went through massive rewrites. Yep. There is a certain character, again, I will go into this in the spoiler section, but they clearly changed a lot of what this person was going to say. And there are times where the shot, the camera is on them and their lips do not match what they're saying blatantly. And it's things like that that take you out of what should be, again, a generic film. But even the filmmaking doesn't hold up in yeah. parts. And again, I'm not blaming S.J. Clarkson and I'm not blaming the cast and crew because the truth is, I'm sure there's a lot of studio interference. I'm sure timing was an issue. I'm sure budget was an issue. I'm, I'm, th this is an immensely talented cast and crew that were given bad writing and a bad, um, a bad story to engage with. Yeah, okay. we'll have to write us then. But I'm not. But the writers may be limited. But the, <laughs> but the thing is, the writers may be limited on what they've, they've yeah. got the ability to do. Oh, yeah. Again, it's, it is a talented There's group a, of people. These are experienced filmmakers. Let's call it creative differences. I feel like that's the best way to describe what it is. There are creative differences. There's, there's like you're under circumstances as a writer, um, even the, uh, the cast has got their circumstances. Yes. Um, even the studios, like they got a. Yeah, they're producing it. They got to. They, they, they got the money behind it, they... and they have to because some of the. I mean, there's one point they went to a cave, and you can tell that's a studio lot in in, yeah. a, in a film production company. Like, there are, there's a lot of problems with the film that come from clearly the circumstances to make it were not right, and no way says any one person. We're not going to point someone and say the editor was bad, the director was bad, the cast were bad. No, it was bad circumstances with immensely talented people. And not every project they're going to work on works because we've seen um, S.J. Clarkson work on a lot of really good projects like Succession and even some of the um, Netflix shows like Jessica Jones and things like that have their fans, their, their mixed reviews, but a lot of people have yeah. a lot of love for them. And the same way as a lot of people do have a lot, lot of love for Madame Webb and wanted to see her portrayed on the yeah. big screen. And if you're a fan of the character, you get to see a film that centers around this person and does give her an arc as much as we're going to criticize it or as we go into spoilers her character is portrayed on screen she gets her powers yep. and she she does things with them another thing i should say is the blatant placement yes that's Let, not that's not a spoiler but you're going to want to buy I mean, a pepsi after you're going to want or you're not going to want to buy a pepsi afterwards because um there's even a scene where she gets a Pepsi and like it just she holds onto it for like fifteen minutes straight and crazy has the logo always perfectly facing the camera. Yeah. And any other drinks in this scene, which I don't know if Toby picked up, where someone's holding a beer, you never see the beer that the person's holding because clearly they want you to focus on the Pepsi yeah. in the scene. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I'll put it to you this way, Pepsi comes back in a major way in the conclusion of the film and essentially helps them win. <laughs> Pepsi's the real hero. Yeah. Look, it's just distracting. That's all I'll say. There's been product placement in so many films. There's a Bond film that the entire budget of the film was covered by product placement. Yeah. Right? 
I'm not saying that was a very critically acclaimed Bond film, but what I'm saying is it can work when it wants to work. I mean, we know that the, was it Audi? Clearly have a major deal with MCU and that they're always driving around in the new Audi. No, one of my favorite ones is the Transformers where, um, with the- Mark Wahlberg and the Bud Light. Yes. Yeah. yeah. On the back. <laughs> yeah. Where he cracks over the Bud Light in the middle of a fight scene. Yeah. So we've seen it done badly. This is just obvious. Just distracting. And it's just distracting because yeah. you should be interested in this awkward dynamic. At this point, Dakota Johnson is trying to figure a lot of things out. Yeah. And she's clung to this Pepsi. She's clung can. to this Pepsi. <laughs> it's helping her. It's directing and, her in life. You know, even in final sequences, Pepsi makes an appearance. And it's just this, it, it's just a bit distracting if you're not fully invested in the story, which unfortunately we weren't. Yeah. Um, I think this is the perfect time to segue uh, yeah, onto on spoilers. the spoilers section. So, at this point now, if you haven't seen Matter Web, or you um, plan to, we're going to get into them now. Yeah. Um, but just we're sounding the spoiler alarm. We're going to go get get into spoilers now. If you're if you're looking to get our reviews, the the amount of claps that we give the film, that will yes. be at the end, of course. Again, well, um, you can skip through this section. Yeah, we're going spoilers now. If you don't care, feel free to continue listening. But if you do want to preserve your experience with this film, we would recommend you stop listening. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because we're going to get into some heavy spoilers. Right, Toby, kick us off. Um, let's just talk about the final scene. We've just, we're talking about, we've just been talking about Pepsi. Um, and, and the big spoiler is that there's a giant neon sign of Pepsi Cola and that saves the day, essentially. Mm. Um, Madam Webb at this point has her, her future predicting abilities. And the main bad guy is squashed by the P of the Pepsi sign. We should sign. give a name to the main bad guy. I feel like we should talk about the villain because we, we didn't. We need to talk about the villain. His name the, is Ezekiel. The specific reason I didn't talk about him in the non-spoiler section is just the script and dialogue given to this poor man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. I... There is the sequence that he goes to, is it the opera or a, a show? And then brings a girl home. From the opera, who I'm assuming, I like how he, he, I like how he flirted as well. Like he picked something off the ground and then like went and to gave it to her so and, then, yeah. and then pulled it away. So it turns and out, like, guys, that if you want to pick up a girl at a show, just pick up a magazine and give it to her, because that's how you take her home. Yeah. Um, and then she also didn't find it suspicious that he had a giant container in the middle of his room with a spider, a singular spider in it. She, big, and we're not talking a little like daddy long legs here. We're talking like me. Weird red spiders in the middle of his uh, living room. That is a green flag, turns out. Yeah. I I have a lot of questions about him. And this is the part of the plot that just kind of eluded me. And perhaps there was an explanation and I was just yeah, not caught up with it. So the the major, the start and like the major like deciding factors that, that lead to the plot in itself is that Dakota Johnson's, or Madam Webb's mother, <laughs> is in the Amazon studying spiders with this man. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't get that from the trailer, yeah. I'm telling you now. Yeah, just really important. Um, and they're looking for a spider that, <laughs> what did she say? It like it's venom. Try to superpower yourself or something. Superpower yourself. Um, yeah. Really good exposition to just basically yeah. say it's Spider Man. Basically, spider. it's a special spider. Yeah, it's a special spider that gives you superpowers. Um, and then the main bad guy. What was his name? Sorry, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Um, a. It has this evil plot and he ends up killing everyone after we, they we, front... We're in spoilers now. We can go into it. Basically, he sees... He, like Madam Web, can see the future. And every night, he gets visions of three superheroes killing him Yeah, in the future. My, my, my issue is... My initial issue... I have a couple. 
is that from the point that he stole a spider, killed a bunch of people in the Amazon, he was talking about how he's dirt broke. He's got nothing to his name. Yes. So he got the spider and obviously gave himself superpowers. And now he's in a penthouse suite. In New York. In yeah. New York. Where, where do you get the money from? I don't know. I'm I very confused by that. I, like, I mean, are they alluding to the fact that he's producing the spiders at home and selling them? Maybe creating more superhero, like selling them on the black market or make, something? Make it, I think he only had the one spider, they, though. We do see that there is a... Tr oh, no, I guess that's not related. But maybe there's more spider people in this world than we know of. Yeah, they, there certainly could be. It doesn't but, tell you that. It doesn't tell you that. And you, you're just going from like this point of like guys complaining about being so poor. And this, this is kind of his driving force as well, is that yes. he, he was poor and he feels like he was disadvantaged because he was poor. So and he, he was obsessed. He was he killed people, yeah. became a, a crappy Spider-Man, and yeah. now he's <laughs> rich. I don't, I'm yes. just a little lost. Like, in you know, But what that happened. is probably all the thought that was given to it as yeah, far as I it suppose. Feels. Yeah. Maybe there was a, a, an extended cut where you go into it. I don't know. Don't you see it? But... Um, yeah, so the, so the villains, are set, uh, his, his goal is to kill these three super heroes and save himself for the, from the future, right? Yes. Um, but obviously, that doesn't happen. He gets crushed by Pepsi. Yeah. And, and, and Madam Web was there, too. Yeah, well, yeah, she saw it, she saw it happen she before saw it, it happened. happened. And then it happened. Yeah, it was, it was impressive. That is... I think the biggest criticism I have, and this is where, again, I love, we, we want to support films and things like that, but this is the one part I couldn't wrap my head around. If you're going into this expecting Madam Web, Spider-Girl, and these other superheroes. Spider-Girls. Spider-Girls. Like the Powerpuff Girls. But exactly. Spider -Girls. The, the, these Spider-Girls to have their powers and use them in intense action sequences to, to, to kill a villain you hate. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. They're not superheroes in this film. No. You don't ever see them as superheroes except for flashes into the future. Yeah. Of a clearly another film that probably won't get made, but in the future yeah. of the Sony universe, right? You never actually see them as superheroes. The film is them running away from every battle that could exist. Yeah, that was that was actually one of the things that kind of annoyed me because I was going to be like, oh, this is like a really bad introduction to, to these... um like female leads essentially in their, their superhero costumes and stuff like that. It wasn't like, you know, one of those, um, like whitewashed, um, like flash, f f like, I guess flashback, not flashback, um, forward. flash forward, I suppose. Vision, a vision of the future. So it was like, you know, already not as nice as like a, a good clear shot of them in their super suits yes. and stuff like that. And then it was just like them doing a couple flips, kicking this guy around and, and that was about the extent of it. And then I was like, oh, yes. that's kind of a bad way to introduce what, what I assume will become these superheroes. They never became the superheroes no. in the film. And we're not people to say, oh my God, all our superhero films need action, uh, no story. We're not like that. We're not saying that. But what we're saying is, this is a superhero film where no one's a superhero. There, yeah. isn't, there isn't a superhero. Madam Web has these powers, and yes, she ends up using them. But they, they spend half the film creating this group yeah. of superheroes aren't superheroes they're people who were just trying to survive yeah and that's great until you get to the fact that the villain dies from a collapsing pepsi logo right yeah that's where the flaws lie for me where th when you think there's an arc of these people learning their powers and getting an understanding of who they are to to just to overcome villainy yeah that doesn't happen instead of you know dakota johnson sees something happen then it happens yeah 
I will say that some of the the flash forward scenes were well done. They I don't, well I don't, don't want to like. This is one of the things that I think is is praiseable. When I we agree. first see her effectively using it to save people's lives, um, it's it's to save the three main girls who she'll end up spending the majority of the film with. Yes. and that scene it's it's brutal. You see, um, you see the bad guy come in. What's his name again? Ezekiel. <laughs> Very rememberable. Yeah. Um, Ezekiel, he comes in and he essentially just like snaps Sydney Sweeney's back over a over a shirt. It's yes, it, it is a brutal scene. The diner scene is actually really well done, apart from the fact that apparently. But I was talking about the train scene, the first one. Yes, the train scene and even the diner scene, both of them in the same sense, where it's like you you basically see Dakota Johnson seeing into the future and seeing how she eff- effectively loses to this guy. Yeah, how he can come in and he just basically just mogs them. Like he's so much more powerful than them. He yeah. kills them, and it kind of like in a sense, creates that dread of like, wow, like how these guys are you know, four humans. This is, you know, a, a weird Spider-Man. How are they going to beat that? Um, but then, yeah, she sees the future and can kind of just like dodge him. Yes. Which is, again, that is that is her character in the comics and everything. That is who she is. But I agree with you where the build-up, the, the suspense, S.J. Clarkson does really well. Where, especially on the train, I agree with you, where she's trying to understand what's going on around her. And there's some incredible use of sound design and yeah. editing to to create that. And the fast editing and things like that work mm. well in those sequences where you're getting flashes of what sh- you're trying to understand it while she is. Mm-hmm. But then, it then what happens, happens. You know, this they just run away. And then, it, oh, it's all good. Because I saw he was going to go there, so I'm going to go over there. And then they run away, and, that, and that's the end of the sequence, right? And you, and basically, Ezekiel spends half the film just trying to find people. That's all he is. He's he, he, his assistant does more work than he does. Yeah, and and with that, I think his dialogue is quite often with his assistant. Yes, and it is just it's it, appalling. It it's, is. I'm sorry, it's it's appalling. You got laughed at me right now. No, it is appalling. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just, it's just like every single word is just like exposition. And it does, I don't know, it does feel like he just, they were like, oh, we actually don't know what his character's doing here. Can you explain it? Like, can you just tell the audience what you're doing? And he's like, oh, I'm now hacking into the police system and telling them to not go search for the girls because they're not the actual girls. And like, that's, that's essentially how he's talking. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm I'm sorry to be harsh. Because again, I don't think these writers are bad, but what they were given didn't work. You couldn't believe anything these people were saying. Yeah. And... It's frustrating, to say the least. I hate to rip into this one poor fellow so much. The the funniest scene for me, not the funniest, funniest one I can remember on the spot right now, is when he had taken this girl home in the bed, and he has the first vision that we see of his impending in, in doom, essentially. Mm. And he wakes up and he just goes into like this tangent. And he's like, "I see them every night. They see yeah. three faces." And it's just like, "What? What are you on about, Donnie? Like, this is a girl that you just met. Why did she not run? And what did she do? She goes, oh, really? Yeah, she was and really like, into it. This is something you just brought home, and you're suddenly talking about visions of your death. And yeah. she stays. In yeah, the and then bed he's also like, long. and he's like, I'm gonna kill them. And she's like, oh, okay. And he's like, would you not do the same? And it's like, I don't know. It just, and then kills her for yeah. some reason. Um, I don't know. It's it's just kind of like I don't understand like the the moral qualm that he's dealing yeah. with here, where it's just kind of like you see your impending doom and. I understand you must say, but you're going to kill three girls. Like, yeah, I mean, and we spo- and the justification of that is he's evil. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, we've seen many a superhero film that does that. Yeah, this is, and that's what we should say. This isn't the worst superhero film ever made. We've seen this done 
before. Like it's it's essentially it feels like those early two thousands when they're trying to work out how to make a superhero film, where you have Daredevil and Elektra and some of these other, uh, you know, the first Hulk film where they're trying to work out the tone and the writing to make a superhero film feel real. Yeah. To to bring it out from the from the from the page, and it just feels like this either went through major script rewrites, which it did. But what I'm saying is whether that dialogue existed there or whether they came up with it on the spot because they didn't know where to go with it. And they went, well, you just need to say, well, we need to get this across. Just say it. Yeah. We won't dish too much, like just purely on the, the villain. Because conceptually, this, no. this film, like the first Wonder Woman has a has Ares. He's, he's the God of War. He's evil. Absolutely. That's it. There was, um, I know you loved it. What was the... Black Adam. Black Adam. That film did exactly what this film does in terms of the villain to the final sequence. Yeah. It's just and like... It's poor. It's... He's evil. That's, evil, that's, that's the explanation. That's it. And it's frustrating in this film and other superhero films that yeah. they think they can get away with this when we've seen it done so much better. Yeah. Unfortunately, now we're in the middle of superhero fatigue where you can't get away with that anymore. No. People are not going to go see a film that they don't feel like there's going to be an emotional or moral connection to any of the characters. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the case here where it takes a while for Madame Webb to become likable, I think. Where, if if you do find she becomes like I eventually do I I do find that where I'll give them that that I think Madam's Web Madam Web's character I have a lot of criticism obviously as we've been into in terms of the dialogue and the story but I did see an arc there and I did buy her transition as a character from someone who wasn't very sociable to someone who stuck to, stuck to herself yeah stuck to herself. And don't get me wrong, the dialogue they used to give you that information is not well done. Yeah. But by the end of it, I believe that she cares for these um, teenagers. And I believe that she wants to look after them and that she realizes her responsibility yeah. as someone with the ability to see the future and look after these people. But again, I think we should come down to the line that bothered me, I think, the most. You love this one. You were... This one bothered me. In the final sequence, they used the line, with responsibility comes great power. Whoa. That's impactful. I really that, felt that. I think like, I've in, heard that before. That was like in my core, I felt that. That was... I believe they've used that in Spider-Man, but they've used it to where it makes sense. Whereas with great power comes great responsibility. I thought it was Star Wars, but no, now you say that. Look, they they decide to use the famous Spider-Man line, but they, I think they, they felt an obligation that they can't use the line. So they decided to do their spin on it. <laughs> sure, I guess that's what you can call it. I think they just got confused. I didn't know what the line was. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, no. They, yeah, I think it was just like, I mean, we've heard it in like five films. Even I think even the latest Spider-Man, they changed it a little bit. They did change it a little bit. To try and make it, because yeah. like everyone's sick of doing old And I think old the Uncle one Bane. that they used in the recent one was actually the one they used in comic books as well. Like really. there was that version that existed in comic okay, books. Okay, yeah. But yeah, this uh, one was, yeah. once again, just like, they they struggle with sentence structure with like this exposition where it's like she was in the the forest and then they go like oh um you know we need we need to have this you know famous Spider-Man quote but like we want to mix it up and so they just go like oh let's chop it in half put the first half yeah at the back and it like it look it didn't not make sense to be entirely no no genuine. no and what it's trying to say is right she has this responsibility to look after the three people that she didn't ask and for. that's how she gets her powers and that's how she she can see her her future. And she learns, I don't say how to control it because she's still very early days and I think her capabilities, but she's able to 
to save these people and figure herself out through her responsibilities for these through teenagers. And that's what I'm saying with, that's a praise I'll give to the film where I did see that transition occur. Yeah. But the problem is it's packed inside this dialogue that isn't engaging and doesn't, and isn't realistic in any way. Yeah. And even, I remember there was a scene where she's trying to explain the spiders to the teenagers and she yeah. says, these spiders give you the powers, uh, sorry, these spiders um, uh, give powers to people and there's that tribe in the Amazon. Yes. And they can do crazy stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, you're trying to engage teenagers and adults. To be fair, I feel like if I like read a book and I was like, there's people that get bitten by spiders and they're jumping around in trees and, and they got superhuman strength. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, they're doing some pretty crazy. They're doing some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. But the, the, again, it just doesn't... The way that she said it wasn't as much just kind of like, that's crazy shit. Like, it was yeah. more just like, they do crazy things. And it's like... And they're there like, really? Yeah. Oh my God, tell me more. One of the things that I did really like is that um, the movie does also act as an introduction to CPR, if you wanted to learn it. It, it actually does. <laughs> yeah. There is... Because she's an ambulance... Um, Driver. She's a paramedic. paramedic Sorry, she's a paramedic. Yeah, yeah. And I won't lie. I thought that part was really engaging. Again, there is a scene where she's driving around the ambulance. I didn't think the editing was very good. No. It, it, there was, for example, she comes at an intersection. There's a, a yellow cab that comes. And you see the yellow cab pull up about three times because yeah. they use so many shots to justify that she goes around a corner. And there's just certain things like that that didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I think they, the whole goal of the editing of that sequence was to create tension tension and pace where clearly the ambulance is not going at the speeds that it actually is but the editing is trying to give you that feeling that impression yeah that impression exactly right and so i did actually think the idea of this woman being a paramedic and having a responsibility yeah over a lot of people but not really feeling that as we see with her interaction with one of the patients yeah she kind of just goes yeah, cool. And moves on. She disassociates with that. Yeah. She doesn't see the responsibility that she actually has. And she learns that as she forms an emotional attachment to these teenagers. Yeah. And those elements of the film, I think, worked. That's why it's not an awful film to me. Because there is a lot that the character had to say and a lot in terms of character development. Yeah. Yeah. It's You, know, you have an entirely different character by the end of the film. You so do. The art is bumpy. We'll say it's that. It's bumpy. Art. But and it's in a, you, you, there's a direction to it at the very least. There and I is. think that's always a good thing to see because yeah. not like there are some films where there's character arcs that have no direction and they just don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. I agree. And I think that Madame Webb as a character, exactly what you said, has a direction, but also brings... I don't know how to put it into... Brings up the other, the other characters who don't have a lot of character development besides when they tell you their character development. Yeah. Almost through the camera. Yeah. Telling you, this is my childhood. This is why I'm sad. Right? Again, that's been done before. I'm not criticizing what it's trying to do. Yeah. But it's the package it comes in. Yeah. Could have been done in so many better ways where they could have shown these characters were hurt. Yeah. In so many other ways, but they didn't. They decided to tell you. I think they were they didn't have time. trying to a little bit. So like they you were. Had, when you first get introduced to, oh, I'm terrible with names, so it's, I'm not going to do any good. One of the first of the three um, characters, she lives downstairs from Madame Web. Um, yeah, and, and she is getting talked to you by the person who collects their rent. Um, and essentially, she's saying like, "Oh, my my dad's not home right now. Like, I'll get you rent by tomorrow, or something like that." Yes. and that that did come back that, up. And that 
her character of all the three teenagers I thought was the best. And it also made sense because this is one of the things that always jabs me, and I've talked about this before, is like, the why not call the police in these situations? Because realistically, call the police if you're getting attacked by a crazy Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, but like, her dad was an illegal immigrant, and yeah. she was unaware of that. Her dad actually being deported, her mum had already died. So she was living by herself. And she would not actually be a, a legal citizen until she was 18, I exactly. believe. Exactly, yeah. Was why she... Or she'd have to go into the foster system. Yeah, she'd go into the foster system. Um, So I think that was, like, a good explanation for, like, oh, please, like, don't go to the police because you're going to screw me over, like, in a sense. I Look, I don't I don't want to speak to the whole um immigration system in America because that's way too political. Um, But my logic is always, like, I'd rather, like, go into foster care than be killed by a crazy Spider-Man. That's what I think on the day. I think I disagree with you a little bit. I think, I know what you're saying, but I think the film was basically trying to say that for teenagers who've had rough childhoods yeah. or don't have parents, the system is failing them. No, the system and is they needs they need support and nurturing, and that's what Madame Web offers. Yes. And I think that's where the the transition of Madame Web's character becomes, because she essentially becomes a mother to them. Yeah, no, and I'm not saying that's a, a bad um like manner to, to you know, push the police away from the story and um i think there was a horror film i was watching recently that did a very similar thing i forget what's called i think it's like no one gets out alive or something like that on netflix i haven't finished it yet um but it's a very similar thing where like it's this this girl who's basically just in like a haunted cheap piss rental place um and one of the reasons she doesn't want to call the police is because she's an illegal immigrant yeah. um so like in that sense I, it's it can be done really well to like keep them locked into the story without the ex- external films that the police offers in that sense um, which is, you know, always a, a good thing. Um, so I'm not, I'm not like saying it's, you know, it doesn't make sense for her to not want to call the police and rather, you know, run for her life. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a way that they do it. And I don't dislike it. I think that's good. No. And it's also and good I that it's foreshadowed. That, I, I mean, p- for me personally, I didn't think it fully worked. I, I felt myself less engaged because it was a lot of telling and not showing. So yeah, I think that was part but of the But I issue. think what they were trying to do was really good. That's what I mean. There is, there is a structure that is there and there is clearly great ideas yeah. within a package that is unfortunately really disappointing and we should say we don't blame the cast and crew any film getting made is a miracle but unfortunately this film did not work for us yeah i don't think it worked for a lot of people but it doesn't mean i'd hate to see sony can t- develop this any further or whatever it is we're not saying that what we're saying is this film within this package didn't work for us I am still very interested to see what S.J. Clarkson goes on to do because we've seen her do some really great work. Obviously, Dakota Johnson, Sydney Sweeney, the other characters in this, um, Adam Scott as well, they've been in some incredible productions. And I think their characters have the roots to be really interesting in the future. But unfortunately, this film didn't work. No. Should we go into our final thoughts and and what our rating is? Why don't you go first for this one? So, look, I think for me, there were... Some qualities that were. Yeah. I thought Madam Web was interesting. And I thought the there were certain sequences such as the visions that were quite well done in terms of sound design and filmmaking. Yeah. And some of the action sequences, including the diner and the train, worked well. Were well were well shot and were quite interesting. Unfortunately, I think that's all I could give it credit for. Yes. I thought and I this isn't I'm not saying the seeing the the actors are bad, but what I'm saying, I think the the acting within it, due to the dialogue and the context of the story, wasn't great. It was poor. 
I think a lot of the action sequences were poorly shot. I think the story had a lot of flaws and the dialogue was sometimes humorous in a story that should be quite serious yes, and serious. Yeah. So unfortunately this film didn't work for me. I'm going to give it three claps. Three claps? Three claps. You got to clap for that one? I'm not going to clap for that one. I give it three claps and I should say a lot of people are going to go to either one, one extreme. It's a below average film. Yeah. But it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't at any point thinking I want to walk out. Yeah. But I, I didn't necessarily love every minute of the film. Yeah. There were a lot of times I was rolling my eyes. There was a lot of times I thought, can we move on? Because we could see where it's going. But it offered enough in terms of visuals and sound design in certain moments to keep me engaged. And I did want to see where Madam Web ended up. Yeah. So for that reason, I give it three. I think it could easily on a rewatch become a two or on a rewatch could become a four. I don't know. But I think at the moment coming out of the cinema, it was a three. Yeah. Um, for myself, especially the last thing you said there upon rewatch, I think it just kept worse. I you think, think so? I think the only thing clinging me to that film was the idea of like, maybe something's going to happen. Yep. I think one of the things that dragged me through, especially at the start, was like the idea that we're going to get to see these people suit, suit up, fight the bad guy. And that was like exciting for me. I was really keen to see um, th these actors who I, I know, I know when, who I know are fantastic get into their roles and, and do some stunts and stuff like that. That was exciting to me, especially with the, the plot and dialogue not driving me a whole lot. Mm. Um, so upon rewatch, where I know that doesn't really happen, it's got to I, I don't think it's a film that I'm going to be able to rewatch realistically. And I think that's, uh, along with all the reasons, as you've said, the redeemable factors, it's not a terrible film that I had to walk out of, which would what would is what I would give a one. But it's it's not a film that I'm rewatching. It's not a film that I particularly thought was fantastic. For me, therefore, it is two claps. It's two claps. Yep. All right. I, I totally understand that. Um, I think it is worth mentioning before we wrap up that um, there are minor connections to the spider-man universe uh ben parker who is um uncle ben mm -hmm. as we know and love with great power because great responsibility uncle ben um he is actually madam webb's best friend i would say and or partners at least he is an ambulance he's a paramedic um and his sister is mary who is peter parker's mother and she is pregnant with him in the film. And and gives birth by the end of it, we and have to imagine. We she, see she goes Peter into Parker labor in the film. Yeah. Um and essentially Madame Webb in a, in a scene saves Peter Parker. She she's pregnant and Madame Webb saves Peter Parker. And whilst I thought it was strange and unnecessary, yeah. I also thought it added a little bit of intrigue to certain scenes where I'm going. I wonder how this is going to play a factor in the future. Yeah. And again, I'm not one of those people that say everything needs to be connected, but I think it's an interesting choice for them to even mention yeah. them, given the fact that Venom, Morbius do not have a lot of close tie-ins other than little cameos and little snippets here and there of, you know, Spider-Man on a building. Or nah, whatever. I get that. Um, but I think it was worth mentioning that for those of you who maybe didn't understand it, because we had to discuss it afterwards to fully engage with it. Um, that Ben Parker is in the film and Peter Parker is the baby that's born at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'd like to thank you for listening to our um, thoughts on Madam Web. Yep. We absolutely do not want to be known as a podcast that just hates on film. No, certainly not. We don't, but we are. We do want to give you our honest thoughts on film and 
we do want to continue to support the filmmakers involved and want to see where they where they go in the future. Yeah. We'd ultimately recommend that maybe you don't go to the to the movies to see this one. Unless you're really a fan of the Sony universe and superheroes yep. um, as a whole, I wouldn't really recommend you see this film. No, I don't think it's one that... If it's a film that like you can put on the background while you do something, I don't think it's going to be detrimental in that sense. And it's no. not one that you have to like watch all that particularly intensely to understand the plot. You can come back and forth and be like, oh, she's here now. Cool. You can. Um, and I think that's fine. So yeah, I'm not saying rush to cinemas to watch it. If you really enjoy the characters, you really enjoy cinema. Um, cinemas, sorry, superheroes. Go to see it. Perhaps see, it's, it's another. It's um, a new superhero. It's yeah. not a sequel. No. It's not a remake of something. Exactly. It is a new character, and again, that character is interesting. Yeah. It's just unfortunately not in the best package. No. Exactly. Thank you very much for listening to episode two of the clap. We appreciate all your support as always. Um, we can't wait to give you more. In the future, we're going to be looking at Denis Villeneuve for June, but we're also going to be uh, checking out some new films that are releasing in the month of March. Yep. I think also we are going to be splitting episodes now. Is that right? So we're going to have this episode where it's just news and then our review of a movie that we've seen for the week. And then we're going to do like a 2.5 episode where we talk specifically about our singular creator. Um, This week, we're talking about Donald Glover. Um, renowned artist Charles Gambino. He also works as a writer, director, and actor in a lot of films and um, TV shows, particularly Atlanta, which is well known for, but more recently, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So if you want to hear about his life, essentially, um, and how he got into the creative field, we will be talking about that in another episode and giving our review on the latest Mr. and Mrs. Smith as well. We will be. And as always, if you want to reach out to us, we have our email associated with the podcast. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcast. And uh, feel free to send us some inquiries or feedback or if there's anything you'd love to hear us um, talk about. And of course, please share us with your friends, with your family. Let the Cloud Podcast be known. We'd love to keep building our profile and we can't wait to continue doing this in the future. So thank you very much for listening to episode two of the show and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thank you very much. See you.